Yes. Mm-hmm. And in, in with respect to, you know, what you're seeing in the news about inflation causing these protests, yes, to some extent it could be true. But if you look at the inflation number in November, it was 8.7%. Of course, it's high, but not as high as, you know, places like Turkey or, mm-hmm. or, or some of the other markets where mm-hmm. uh, inflation is much higher. And also c- compared to historical numbers, inflation was about 16% in 2016. So inflation numbers are much lower now. Mm-hmm. So I think there's uh, a bit more to these protests than just inflation. Of course, we'll have to wait for, you know, some more news to come out and some more... Uh, uh, detail, and, details to come, come out but I would say Kazakhstan okay. the story still remains strong and let me very briefly because we're running out of time ask you about Sri Lanka the uh, the Chinese uh, foreign minister is there Sri Lanka's been suffering from a financial crisis and wants to renegotiate its debt uh, with China despite that it did very well last year the market was up 65% um, what, what's the outlook there? Well, uh, with respect to the stock market performance, yes, it did very well. But again, it was led completely by domestic investors, not by foreign investors. Uh, and over here also, the lower interest rates and the fact that retail participation increased significantly led to the market doing very well. Uh, so that led to the recovering the stock, uh, uh, a very good performance in the stock market. And I think what we've seen across many of these markets where there is concern over the government finances or inflation, for example, uh, over the last two years, you had these prime examples of Argentina and Lebanon, where they had very strong stock market rallies despite the government finances not being in order but uh, but the markets did very well because of high inflation and you're seeing that in, in Sri Lanka as well mm-hmm. now inflation has been pretty high over the last couple of months at more than 10% and it's with respect to the macro yes I think it's obviously for as a foreign investor it's it's not probably a market one would be overweight on because of the fact that uh, you know they may have to go to the IMF or they may also okay. have to restructure the debt so it'll, it, we have to wait and watch it to see how that goes Rushir, thanks very much. That's Rushir Desai, fund manager at Asia Frontier Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets this morning, the SX200 down 0.4% in Sydney. In Tokyo, the Nikkei 225 is flat. In Seoul, the South, uh, the Cosby up half a percent. And here in Hong Kong, looks like a decline for 80 points or so for the Hang Seng at the Open. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Please join me again tomorrow morning at 10, uh, 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Janice Wong and Ada Wong in just a moment. The weather forecast for today. Cool in the morning. It's going to become fine and dry. Maximum temperature of around 19 degrees and remain cool in the morning for the next couple of days. It's 14 degrees right now. 71% relative humidity. 8.32. Here's Andrew Shorosky with the Half Hour News. Health authorities say they didn't find any COVID-19 cases in a lockdown at a block in Meifu. The lockdown operation, prompted by the discovery of a resident who tested preliminary positive, took place at 5 to 7 Nassau Street, Meifu Sonchun, Phase 5. About 340 residents were tested in the operation. Meanwhile, the government has included 39 places in its compulsory testing notice, including a Sushiro restaurant in Taipo Mega Mall and the Aberdeen Sports Ground. It comes after the discovery of one import-related case and another that's possibly import-related, as well as seven preliminary positive cases. A pharmacist group has called on the government to lower the minimum age for people to receive a BioNTech COVID vaccine to five. Right now, children as young as 12 are allowed a jab, while advisors have said Sinovac is fine for children as young as three. The chairman of the Society of Hospital Pharmacists, William Choi, says a British study shows that giving younger children one-third of the adult dose is safe and effective, with a booster shot 21 days later. Mr. Choi said parents may want another option. 
as you know, the onset vaccine can produce a high level of neutralizing antibody. That's why our society also suggests the government not only consider Sinovac vaccine, but also the BioNTech vaccine, because we believe that some of the parents, they may consider higher level of neutralizing antibody caused by the BioNTech vaccine. Meanwhile, Pfizer, which distributes the BioNTech vaccine outside China, says it expects a COVID-19 vaccine targeting the Omicron variant to be ready in March. Its chief executive officer says the firm is already manufacturing doses due to keen interest from governments, as authorities contend with the huge COVID-19 infection counts. Moderna also says it's developing a booster that could address Omicron and other emerging strains in the fall of 2022. Russia's Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Rabkov has warned the United States not to underestimate the risks of confrontation with Moscow over Ukraine. Speaking after a round of talks in Geneva, Mr. Rabkov also said there was a basis for agreement and compromise was needed. For her part, the U.S. Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman said the Russians had told her they didn't intend to invade Ukraine and that a buildup of Russian troops on the border was just maneuvering. In an audio call with reporters after the talks, Ms. Sherman said Russia could easily end hostilities on the Ukrainian border if they so wished. They can prove that, in fact, they have no intention by de-escalating and returning troops to barracks. Return the troops to barracks or tell us what exercises are ongoing and what their purpose is. That's not at all clear. One doesn't normally send 100,000 troops to a border just to sort of exercise. It's quite extraordinary. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat with Ada Wong and me, Janice Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Janice. Today, we're talking about the impact of COVID-19 on businesses and a legal victory for Novak Djokovic. Fears over a new outbreak of the Omicron variant of COVID-19 has prompted the government to order another shutdown of businesses, from cinemas to karaoke's, mahjong parlors and gyms, while dine-in services at restaurants must end by 6 p.m. The catering industry alone says it stands to lose billions of dollars over the lucrative Lunar New Year period, and many businesses are calling for more government support. Financial Secretary Paul Chan says he'll consider this, but offered no details yet. How much of a threat do the, do the renewed restrictions pose to local businesses? What kind of help do they need from the government? After 9.15am, we'll talk about Novak Djokovic's court victory. After an Australian judge ordered the government to release the tennis superstar from quarantine. Let us know your thoughts, your questions and your comments on our Facebook page, Backchat at RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us, of course, and our number is 233-88266. That's 233-88266. Now to uh, kick off our discussion this morning, we have in our Admiralty studio Maurice Kong, the first vice chairman of the Institute of Dining Professionals. And on the line, we have Chris Chung, a mahjong parlor owner. Later on in the program, we'll also be joined by Vera Yoon, a business and economics lecturer. Good morning to you, Mr. Kong and Mr. Chung. Thanks for joining us on the program. Good morning. Um, Let's start. Good morning. Um, let's start with you, Mr. Kwong. The um, latest anti-COVID measures that include banning dining in um, restaurants after 6 p.m. was introduced last Friday. How much of an impact has it had so far? A lot, a lot of impact. 
Um, a lot of Chinese restaurants, especially Chinese restaurants, uh, they have already purchased a lot of ingredients, food ingredients uh, for the CMY, uh, for those annual dinner or family dinner. However, now they, they do not know how to handle because they, they have no idea would there be any chance to open after, uh, before Chinese New Year. So you're not optimistic that um, you know the ban will be lifted, uh, let's say, in um, more than a week's time. Of, of, of course, we do hope we we open our, our all restaurant for dinner business for four person, six person, eight person, and also for those uh, uh, small banquet as well. Okay. That's what we, we would like the Hong Kong government to allow us to do so. Yeah. And you, you said uh, many restaurants already purchased all their ingredients. I mean, how much, how much, I mean, how much uh, money are, are we talking about here? Um, um, as you mentioned earlier, it's a lot of money. And, and I'm, of, I'm afraid I've not, uh, I don't know the exact answer. However, for those uh, Chinese restaurants, normally for Chinese New Year, they would purchase those uh, uh, a little bit expensive ingredients from Fishmore to Abanoni. So you try to imagine, yeah, getting lots and lots of money. And what, what are restaurants uh, doing now to, to try to survive? Uh, in, in, in fact, we all uh, want to promote those uh, takeaway items uh, for, for, for Chinese or Western cuisine. Uh, I can see a lot of uh, restaurants, they start to upsell pun choy, you know, for, for those families. And let's uh, now bring in uh, Mr. Chung, who owns a mahjong parlor. I think you must be the first mahjong parlor owner we've had on the program. Um, welcome to Back Chat. Uh, it's, uh, yes, good morning. Good morning. Um, so can you tell us uh, what, what business was like uh, before the latest social distancing measures were introduced? Uh, we have suffered a lot since like since like last year April, uh, like last last year, and then like uh, we we opened like last year around April. And we haven't uh, the industry haven't recovered for even more than one year, and then we uh, we have uh, we uh, forced to have shut down again. Um. So, uh, what, what was how many months uh, were you closed last year? Uh, uh from oh, it's uh. uh Okay, from two thousand twenty-first, uh, we closed from January to April. Not counting the time from uh, in uh, we 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 have been shut down in two thousand nineteen as well. So totally, is around like uh, we shut down almost like a uh, one two third of the of the year. Okay. So uh, do do you see that people's habit of frequenting the mahjong pala? Uh, I mean, have decreased, reduced, uh, simply yes, because definitely. you have been closed for a long time. Well, definitely, you know what, like, uh, the, the economy is not very good, you know, and then, like, uh, we've been shut down for a very long time, you know. Like, uh, when we reopen again, of course, uh, uh, there are many, like, customers who who, who enter uh, the major parlor and have an entertaining. But afterwards, you know, like, uh, it decreased quite a lot, okay? But then this time, you know, like, uh, just right, uh, right before the, the shutdown, you know, like, uh, we have quite a lot of customers, but now then, you know, we cannot do business again. Um, what, um, you know, what, what is uh, the major loss? I mean, you have to pay rent, obviously, and uh, you, you will have a well, lot of staff to take care of. Well, there are many major losses. Okay? So, we lost the income, you know what? Like, we lost the income, you know what? And then we have to pay many, like, uh, miscellaneous fees, okay? Like, uh, electric bills, gas, whatever, you know? And then, like, uh, some, okay, some uh, lucky... 
uh, Major Pilot owner, they have their own store, so they have they don't have to pay the rent, but you know they have to still pay any of them expenses. So it's quite a lot of money. And uh, salary, some well, some have to pay the salary. Some decided to have a no pay leave. So it depends on different uh, owners. Okay, Mr. Chen, how many mahjong parlors are there in Hong Kong? Yeah, one. Uh, how many, how many, for mahjong parlors in Hong Kong, total about sixty-six licenses right now. Right. And uh, and, in, and during the pandemic, did, did any of those have to close down? Well, I'm not quite sure. Then, then this is have to check with the government. And uh, if Mr. And, and let's go back to uh, Mr. Kwong. If the uh, social distancing measures are, are extended, how much more serious uh, do you think the impact will be on, on the uh, catering sector? Uh, in, in fact, normally uh, before transfer year, a lot of restaurant owner um, uh, they could uh, get some money or earn some money uh, during that period. Normally, they would share those money for the staff. You try to imagine if we cannot serve any dinner or any events for uh, during the transfer year. Uh, I do believe a lot of worker or restaurant operator uh, they are going to lose a job as well. And and after transfer year, I, 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 I'm not quite sure how many restaurants uh, will be closed. Um, Mr. Kong, uh, yeah. this has affected the bigger restaurants uh, instead of the smaller ones. Uh, am I correct to say that? No, 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 no. It's applied to all restaurants. You try to imagine after 6 p.m., we can serve any meal for our customer. How can they get the money? I mean, um, just um, passing by, you know, these smaller restaurants uh, in different neighborhoods, I can see that people are queuing up to get um, uh, a dinner box and a lunch box. Uh, and then they go home. They wouldn't go into a, like a big banquet uh, restaurant um, because that probably would have closed. Uh, we do have uh, uh, a previous record. Uh, yes, you can see quite a lot of uh, uh, citizens they would purchase the, the meal balls from those restaurants. Uh, some of them, even you can see a long queue. However, uh, that profit margin is quite low and, and not even support the, the staff salary or, uh, or the rental. Just nice to have, I would say. Okay, well, last year, I believe that the government um, provided subsidies to the catering sector, um, right? Yes. How, 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 how was that distributed? Um, for, for these circumstances, we highly recommend the Hong Kong government to consider to offer anti employment fund for food and private industry again. In fact, or even the, uh, the consumption coupon, yeah, that may help. Yeah. But we just did have, we just had a consumption uh, uh, coupons, and that benefited a lot of restaurants, I believe. Uh, yes, for and also restaurant, but also for the retail as well. It's good for all cities, I would say. And uh, Mr. Cheung, uh, what what sort of um, assistance did the government offer mahjong parlors uh, earlier? Uh, the earlier last year, you know, they offer, you know, the um, some like uh, uh, like fifty thousand dollars and one hundred thousand dollars a two time uh, uh, once and all funding for us. I mean, that's it. All right, uh, we have another guest on the line, uh, Vera Yun, a business and economics lecturer at the University of Hong Kong. And good morning, and welcome to the program. Good morning. So, so we've uh, just been hearing about the impact the latest anti-COVID measures are having on the catering sector and uh, mahjong parlors. Uh, Ms. June, how much of an impact do you think the measures will have on the uh, local economy in general? Well, um, we still do not know whether it's a short-term shock or it will last for a longer time. It looks like it will last for a while. 
So, um, well, definitely it would reduce some economic activity, some of our some air consumption. So there would be some impact on the economy in the short run. Now, over the weekend, the uh, financial secretary, Paul Chan, said the government uh, will consider appropriate support to help businesses survive uh, the effects of the pandemic. Mr. Kwong, um, you just talked about a possibility of uh, um, introducing more like another round of consumption vouchers or um, subsidies. What other um, sort of assistance would you like to see from the government? Um, um, short term one, OK, we, we want to... Once again, we open our restaurant, okay, uh, allow us to serve four guests, six guests to eight guests after 6 p.m. Yeah. And, and what about uh, you, Mr. Chung? What kind of assistance uh, would you like to see? Uh, like uh, like last year, you know what, like, uh, of course, we, we need some, uh, like, uh, uh, we, we want the government at least to waive the licensing fees, you know what, and then, like, maybe um, they can, uh, okay, reduce other fees, you know, like for us, you know, like uh, last year, you know what, the government uh, have pushed out a scheme called like a saved employment or something like that, you know. The and, employment uh, support scheme. Yes. I say for a problem scheme, but I, I don't think this will happen again because it costs quite a lot of money for the government. But uh, it's up to the government to do whatever they can do to assist us. All right, Ms. Yoon, what, what do you think it would be uh, the um, most appropriate kind of support the government can offer these uh, affected sectors? I do not oppose um, a target subsidy to people who are in the affected sector because the shock affects um, different sectors differently. So the sector that is being hit the hardest is the catering, accommodation, entertainment and recreational venues. And if it does not last long, if it's only short term, I think it's fine not to like offer them help. Um, but I think given the situation, it's going to last quite some time as there are still new cases every day. And given the um, fiscal position of the government by the end of November of last year, we still have $860 billion, which is actually very rich. So I think the government could offer another round of at least targeted subsidy to both employers and employees in industry that are um, heavily affected. Are you talking about another round of the uh, employment support scheme? Uh, I think there are many ways to do that, um, and each way has their own problems, has their own loopholes, because if you're doing targeting, there's always people who need it, but they don't get it, and there's always people who don't need it, but they somehow get it. But Practically, if we already had the employment support scheme before, and we already tried that once, so it may take a shorter time to distribute this round. So I, I don't think it's a bad idea to uh, do the employment support scheme once more. In your view, uh, did it work very well in the past? Um, well, the problem reported in the media, um, but... I, I'm not sure about uh, is there any better ways of doing so because of the administration. And I think if you're doing targeting, whatever you're doing, if it's like social assistance scheme and any other thing that if you try to target a group, you always miss some. So it depends on the percentage of miss of that policy. So I think it will 
be um, the work of the administrators think about whether there are better ways. But uh, in theory, I think people in the, these sectors who are heavily affected by the measure should be helped. Um, Vera Yun, I, I'm not sure whether I'm right, but uh, I think, you know, in uh, in the last two years, uh, we see a lot of um, bigger restaurants closing down or changing hands. And then on the other hand, we see a lot of very small enterprises uh, uh, in the catering sector who have done quite well because they have offered online uh, purchases. And for example, cakes, um, there are now numerous, um, you know, online orders of cakes. And, and these people are doing very well because they don't really need to, you know, to pay a huge amount of rent and they just hire like, um, you know, like a factory floor and get a food factory license. Do you think uh, this sort of business model uh, might become the future model? Uh, because obviously in the post-pandemic um, community, things might change as well. Habits, habits will change. Right. Um, that's a research a study um, of how the U.S. economy has changed. So um, some companies who did not do quite well before the pandemic, they were being um, challenged and they couldn't sustain past the pandemic. And then some of the original positions, they have shifted to industries that accommodate the new need. And also there's arrangement to avoid um, the existing and also future um, spreading of virus. So you can see um, some positions in the restaurants and also retail, they have become, you know, online shopping and logistics, online customer service. So I think the can is um, in the U.S., they killed 10 positions and hire free back um, during the pandemic. So we are going to see some of these changes becoming permanent and some of them will be going back. And so if these people who lost their job would like to become more competitive, they may need to, um, you know, see the future as needing to change positions. Um, Mr. Kong, uh, what, what, what's your view on this? Uh, surely you see a lot of food delivery companies and uh, restaurants um, partnering with those and you know, home deliveries are, are really um, very trendy these days. Uh, how, might, uh, how might this affect the bigger restaurants offering banquets? Um, uh, f- from a point of view, uh, dying out is a habit for all, almost all Hong Kong people. Yeah. Yes, some of them they may order, uh, they may use the online service uh, to order food. Uh, however, uh, and also restaurant, uh, they have their own, uh, um, you know, uh, business model and also the attraction. I I do believe most of the Hong Kong people will have to dine out. Yeah, and yes, uh, it seems that uh, quite lots of a uh, new business uh, by using online platform to sell the products. Um, however, uh, there's there's that's not like a, a short-term you know, solution, not for long-term. Okay, and your institute of dining professionals, uh, uh, who are the people who can join your institute? Um, yeah, uh, from restaurant owner to uh, restaurant operator, yeah, we welcome uh, those person to, to join us and, and to, to share her experience and to have a discussion and also to develop our food and beverage industry. 
Right, Mr. Kwong, uh, let's uh, go back to uh, what uh, Vera Yoon was talking about earlier about the employment support scheme. Um, is, is that something you support, uh, another round of uh, ESS? Um, yes, it's a good idea. Thank you. Yeah, and also it's good to keep a job for those workers. Yeah, and and otherwise, after trust year, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, well, we we don't want to see uh, any restaurant or any business will be closed. But did it work well last time? Um, I I, I would say so, and 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 we depends okay the restaurant how 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 to handle this. Yeah, and most of them we receive a positive feedback. Yeah. But, the, but then there were like some complaints about uh, how uh, many of the uh, employees didn't manage to get uh, the subsidies. I mean, what do you think uh, should be, do you think there's a need to change uh, this uh, um, employment support scheme if another round is uh, launched? I, I do think if we have experience before, if we have a second round, we, we are able to handle better than before. I remember last year, um, you know, the supermarkets, uh, they were doing quite well because they really need, need to buy food. Um, hospitals are doing well, but, you know, their employees also got the ESS. Um, so for this time, because uh, the restaurants have been affected, the uh, mahjong parlors and gyms, uh, do you think these sectors, these businesses should have, have the priority to get the ESS? Mr. Kong. And how, however, as I mentioned, uh, food and beverage, uh, cotton the, the cost is quite high. And, and during the, uh, trans year, uh, like before, all restaurants, okay, they have a better, you know, preparation to handle a trans year program. So for this one, uh, we will see if we are not able to serve any dinner business, we are going to lose a lot, a lot of money. Ms. Yoon, um, how can we make sure that uh, if there is uh, some kind of government subsidy, that this subsidy will be uh, um, received by employees as well as employers? Well, there are some, I guess, bargaining power problems between employers and employees. Um, I think employees would get some, but uh, with other data, I don't know for the last round, it's like how, how do they split between them? Um, I think it's not easy to determine this, and probably some details could help. But I do not oppose. If we want to really help everybody, we can just, you know, do it universally, so everyone will get um, another run of maybe ten thousand dollars or five thousand dollars. I think this is a good way to make sure they get it. I mean, if you do a targeting scheme, like you always miss someone. So this is the downside of um, any targeting scheme. And earlier, um, Mr. Kwong, he uh, suggested another round of uh, consumption vouchers. Is that? Do you think that's something um, Hong Kong needs? Um, it makes people purchase something um, that, uh, for the long run, like they purchase durable goods with consumption vouchers. So, well, it could help maybe boost um, the sentiment of you know um, consuming and buying for a while. Um, but then it doesn't really help the people now who are most affected because they're in catering, accommodation, entertainment, recreational industry. And these um, companies, they cannot, they cannot open for business. So even if you give them vouchers, they're not being helped. So it's not really targeted in a sense. So it doesn't fit the category of people that really need the help. Because if you look at um, even data from, I think, from the UK, they found that people who work in this industry, 
they have the least opportunities to work from home. It's like only 12% of them get the opportunities to work from home. And then for these people, they tend to have lower education, lower income. And when all these compounded together, it increases the gap between the rich and the poor. Because for people in other industries, they can work from home, they have higher pay. So when these, the bottom people, if they cannot work from home and they are forced to um, uh, take a break from the job because they cannot open and it increases the inequality. So in that sense, you should target like those people more. Um, Mr. Kong, um, in the catering business, uh, there are now a lot of casual workers instead of full-time employees, uh, and rent is still a very big expense. Uh, Is there any way um, these restaurants can um, can talk to the landlords uh, in reduction of rents? In in fact, we did. Uh, We start to, uh, I mean our association, start to talk to the landlord and and try to ask them to to offer assistance. And for the worker, as you mentioned, thank you. Uh, there are lots of uh, uh, casual labor, yeah, and and they they need to have a job, especially for the Chinese New Year, uh, in order to earn money, yeah. So that's a big impact, as I mentioned earlier. If we cannot serve any dinner business after six p.m. So, so will uh, many restaurants have to cut these uh, casual workers uh, in, in this uh, upcoming uh, Lunar New Year period? Of course, if there's no business, how can how can they hire a casual labor? Yeah, that's a pet not only for the restaurant but also for a lot of food and beverage industry, even including hotels. Okay. All right, uh, we have to take a short break for the news summary, Mr. Kong. Uh, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Maurice Kong, the first vice chairman of the Institute of Dining Professionals. Um, many thanks also to Chris Chung, a mahjong parlor owner who uh, had to rush off earlier. And uh, Ms. Yoon, we will continue our discussion after the news when we will be joined by Peace Wong from the Hong Kong Council of Social Services. And after 9.15, we'll discuss uh, tennis superstar Novak Djokovic's court victory. If you want to ask questions or just share your views on today's topics, give us a call on uh, 233-88266. And now a quick look at the weather. will be cool in the morning, becoming fine and dry later with highs of around 19 degrees. Right now, the reading at the observatory is 14 degrees, relative humidity 71%. And um, this is according to the Welfare Department. Mr. Wong, um, good morning to you. Um, what, good morning. What is the situation like? Uh, actually, I think the situation is quite varying. Um, uh, the measure of the anti-pandemic control is uh, it, uh, it, it just implements, so we don't know how long it will last. Uh, but if we use the experience of the uh, pandemic control in the past two years, uh, I think the social cost and its impact on unemployment is can be very huge. And are there now many more recipients of uh, the comprehensive social security allowance as a result of the pandemic? Um, yes, you, you can say that. Uh, uh, maybe we go back to the statistics first. Um, it's because in, in, in the um, in, in the pre-pandemic uh, level. Uh, so it's in the last quarter of 2019, uh, the unemployment population is just about uh, about 120,000. And then we had that all type of uh, anti-pandemic measure throughout the 2020. And then uh, the unemployment population increased to about 260,000. And 
Uh, actually, if, if you uh, remember, uh, it, it is is the time is uh, when when is uh, the first quarter of two two oh. And if you remember what is happening in two two, is the uh, period when uh, the pandemic control measure is more tightest, and uh, is the, the time that we had that uh, low dying after six o'clock. And then uh, in two two one is because uh, the the control measure is somehow loosened, and then uh, we had the, the unemployment rate is somehow decreased gradually. And now now we go back to the uh, almost go back to the pandemic level. Now is the, the unemployment population is one hundred and fifty thousand. So go back to the CSSA. Actually, in that uh, uh, period, uh, about the first quarter of two o two o, the the case law of CSSA actually increased quite rapidly. But uh, even in the peak, uh, the, I think the case load is just about twenty thousand. And but uh, you remember what I said? Uh, the the uh, unemployment population at that time is two hundred and sixty thousand. So it means that it's just a uh, light out of ten people who are unemployed, they don't uh, seek help from GSSA. Um, but uh, looking at the unemployment figures, um, they are not really high. Uh, is it because um, a lot of people are employed in a part-time way um, or they are lo- like self-employed, uh, being casual workers in the catering businesses and in other businesses? Yes, it's, uh, actually, it's because the situation is much better if you compare the 2020. But I think one figure, uh, there's two, one, uh, two figures I think uh, we, we had uh, to um, also, also be aware of. One is the underemployment rate. Uh, now it's still quite high. Uh, I think in the peak level is about 150,000 who are underemployed. And also I think we had to uh, uh, aware of the figure of uh, if you compare put, put of the peak pandemic level, I think the labor force is somehow decreased by about uh, 100,000. So, I mean, means that part of the the mi- migration maybe is part of the cost. But I think some of the people is this because they are too frustrated to uh, search for a job, so they will go out of the employment labor market entirely. Okay, from from your research, which sector has been um, the most uh, hit um, you know, in the last two years? Uh, with a lot of uh, grassroots and um, entry-level workers uh, being jobless? Um, I, I haven't uh, um, studied very deeply about uh, the sectors, but we, we, we have noticed uh, there is a new phenomenon. Uh, it's because in the past, in, in the past, I think most of the employment people, unemployed people is uh, grassroots workers. But that time, this time, I think uh, there is more and more Middle class people who are also get employed. Some of the people who are have been a professional uh, working in the maybe travel industry or work in the airline, uh, they they also get employed. If you compare uh, about uh, their education level, we we've noticed that uh, the people who get the uh, sub degree or diploma certificate, they get the highest employment rate among all the people in in Hong Kong. So I, I think that time I mean, the situation is quite different. So uh, um, and and this also uh, explain why the uh, take up rate of CSSC is that low, so low uh, at, at this time is because I think the middle class workers they are not the people who used to uh, seek help from the CSSA even they 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 get unemployed or they in the financial difficulties. 
But with our borders still closed and probably for quite a while, um, what, 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 what do you think um, you know, we could offer to these people, let's say from the travel um, sector, airline sector, and, and so on and so forth? Uh, uh, you know, what do they need at the moment? Do, do you have a clue? Uh, uh, I, I think there is not a, a quick fix, uh, but I think maybe some short-term financial assistance uh, will be uh, very critical for them. Uh, just as I say, if you uh, study the unemployment figures, I think last time, uh, I think that unemployment increase is somehow uh, last for, uh, I think the most serious situation is last for uh, about six, six months. So um, if you give them some uh, quick uh, financial assistance, after they get the job, then they will um, uh, get back the job and then they, they, will, they will quit the financial support uh, very happily. And uh, so uh, I, I think in, in, in overseas countries, I think uh, it's because most of the country, they have uh, unemployment insurance. So I think it's a very appropriate um, uh, uh, policy vehicle to, to meet their objectives. But uh, the problem in Hong Kong is because we do not have that system. So maybe we had to use other temporary measure to um, um, uh, uh, just provide a function just like the uh, unemployment insurance uh, to, to benefit the people, uh, no matter they are grass worker or they middle class worker. Ms. Yoon, what do you think of uh, Mr. Wong's uh, observations? Do you expect uh, this uh, situation to worsen further in the next year or so? Um, I think he's incorrect on the definition of unemployment because people, if they are frustrated and then they say they don't want to find job because they are frustrated, they are still counted as in the neighborhood by the definition of the Census Statistic Department. So those are not like underestimation of unemployment. And then I think for migration, I actually looked at the number um, when compared with mid-2020. About 100,000 people left Hong Kong. Um, but then I don't know what the consequences because we need to know who were in the labor force. And for industries, um, it's transportation and accommodation catering that would have the hardest. And then perhaps um, wholesale um, and retail, the second. And building services, the third, maybe that. And for unemployment and underemployment, I agree with the host that is actually low in the, in the percentage um, in the past few months. So we recovered pretty well. But of course, this wave is going to increase the rate um, in the near future because the number is a moving average of three months. So it will take some time for it to realize and to rise. Um, and then goes goes down again. Um, that's what I want to um, supplement. Yeah, but do do you think that uh, the government should offer more short-term retraining courses uh, of any kind, so that, for example, the uh, tour guides and you know people in the travel sector, the in, in the hotel and accommodation sector, they can find jobs in um, elsewhere. If this is short-term thing, they will get their job, but for I mean, I do not understand why there's still people in the travel sectors because there were no jobs in the sector. So when they did the survey of unemployment, they asked which sector was your last job in. So if you're doing travel, which means you still haven't got any proper job over the last maybe two years. 
So yeah, these people、um, need help, and I think you know those、um, air the flight attendants they already、um, resign and and find、um, some jobs that、um, they think is more suitable to、um, being a human as they don't want to be quarantined for a long time. I think for you know retraining and all these. Um, vocational training, the government should always be doing it. So it's not only about the pandemic, and there should be、um, ways for these people to develop、um, skills that suit the labour market more.、Uh, do you see any structural shifts in, in the economy、um, after the pandemic, or we're still in the pandemic? Or I mean, from this year onwards, I read somewhere that.、Um, Uh, the younger people, they are not really,、um, you know, getting their business degrees now, and they are all going into、um, probably IT and relevant sectors. Well, that happened like ten years ago already. Okay. So it's, it's not like current, like what happened currently.、Um, I think for Hong Kong, there will still be business, and the business we're talking about is more about, you know, finance, trading, all, all these things. It's not about opening. Retail store and you know and be a you know small shop owner. It's, it's not about that you know business degree. So so I don't think it's, it's very relevant. But as I said,、um, according to a U.S. study,、uh, they did see some、um, reallocation of job positions from some old industries to some new ones. So it's going to happen. And for some of them, I agree with the catering、um, industry that gets. Because Hong Kong's culture is to die out, and we have very small houses, so when we meet our friends, we go out and dine. So some of these demand will come back, like for transportation, air,、um, flight. You know, all these will come back too. So it depends on which one you are talking about. But some part of the economy will change, and we will see. And I think for for、uh, foreign countries like the U.S., they said、uh, a lot of people resign. Uh, they didn't want to work anymore because they are asking for better work-life balance. They want to do more work from home. So many of these、um, companies in UK, in the US, they are trying to even in the long run to accommodate、um, their colleagues and staff to work from home more than before the pandemic. So I think the employers in Hong Kong、um, will not follow exactly as what they do, but there's a potential that. We would become more flexible in the future in, in our work arrangement. Um, um, Peace Wong,、uh, I hope that、um, you know this tightening of the social distancing measures will be short. And then after that,、uh, where where are the jobs these days?、Um, you know, how can、um, I guess more grassroots people、um, get、uh, some kind of decent jobs?、Mm. Mr. Wong, yeah. 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 Yes. Um, um. Um, uh, I, I think the situation is um, um, uh, uh, just just, just as the other speaker say. I think that, that it's because the unemployment、um, uh, situation is.、Uh, I think the economics of Hong Kong somehow has go through a recovery. Somehow go through a recovery in the past period. But now it's because the uh, uh, the tightening of a、uh, pandemic measure is just、uh, implemented. So I, I think the.、Um, Situation on or, or the impact on employment is quite depends on how long that uh uh the, the pandemic control will tighten up pandemic control will last. So uh I I think that unemployment situation to the grassroots people is still quite uh it is still wait and see. So I I I cannot uh make a very、really, um accurate prediction of what will happen. But I think 
just just at the us because say I think that kind of of retraining or helping people to shift to other industry, uh, I think uh, uh, that the support is still important. Okay, um, and I I know that a lot of uh, the uh, uh, younger people have gone into logistics, uh, uh, like delivery or um, well, basically in transportation. Do you think that will increase? Uh, um, um, it, I, I have not done many in-depth analysis on this part, so sorry, I cannot give really. Uh, okay, but in general, uh, young people, their their choice of um, sectors and choice of employment ha- have that been affected by the pandemic? Yes, 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 definitely, definitely. Uh, in which sectors, in in particular? Uh, I I think. It's because for the traveling industry uh, and also the catering and also the retail, I think, uh, is quite uh, affected by the pandemic. So I think the chance of going to this kind of industry, I think, is uh, much uh, lower. Okay. Um, uh, for for both guests, I guess, uh, in, in, in the meantime, what can government do or should it be... Like, um, you know, we have um, NGOs in the community. Uh, could they help and um, or people can help themselves? What is the situation like? Peace Wong. Um, for, for the help, I think, uh, I think one, the, one, one thing that I, first, I think the government can do is to maybe they can uh, somehow turn the uh, working family allowance to, a, uh, to have some temporary transformation of the working family allowance. So I think they can help the people to, to, to allow the people if they have the track record to applying the working family allowance, uh, they can uh, get the benefit from it even uh, uh, they are employed. And Vera Yun? Well, I believe if they're going to give out subsidy, they should work on it now because it takes a long time to deal with the administration and thing. And um, so they should act now if they predict that this wave is going to last like for a few months and not a short time. And I actually agree with Peace Wong that um, according to welfare studies, um, countries do reform their welfare system during um, some hard times uh, when they have uh, economic downturns. So maybe it's also a good opportunity to review um, whether the current system is doing well or whether there should be some changes. All right, uh, we'll have to leave it here for now. Uh, thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Vera Yun, a business and economics lecturer at the University of Hong Kong. Many thanks also to Peace Wong, the Chief Officer for Policy Research and Advocacy at the Hong Kong Council of Social Services. It's uh, now 19 minutes past nine, and it's time for our second and final topic today. And that's on the release of world tennis number one Novak Djokovic from an Australian immigration detention after winning a court challenge to remain in the country. But the government said it was still considering another move to deport him. For the latest development, we're joined now by Tracy Holmes, a senior journalist for ABC News. Good morning, Tracy. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, great to have you back here on Backchat again. Um, can you first summarise uh, for us what's uh, happened? Yeah, so um, I think it surprised very many people when uh, an arrangement was made and, and the statement came out from the court saying that uh, the visa cancellation had been quashed and that the Australian government was required to release Novak Djokovic within half an hour 
hand back his passport and all his personal items, and for the Australian government to pay for Novak Djokovic's legal fees. Uh, but right at the end, just before the court adjourned, the statement was made uh, by one of the legal council team members for the Australian government that another minister, this time the Minister for Immigration, uh, was considering it cancelling Novak Djokovic's visa once again on, on a different ground. And so we're in a period of limbo now. Novak Djokovic uh, was released. He went and trained at midnight last night. He was playing tennis on Rod Laver Arena. And um, he is waiting to see if this government minister decides that his visa will be cancelled once more. So uh, when will we know if, uh, if the immigration minister will use uh, his, uh, his or her discretionary powers to deport him? Yes, yeah, so there's no timeline on that, um, although it would, you know, necessarily be sooner rather than later. Uh, but given the uh, embarrassment for the federal government in losing this case uh, in a court of law where lots of facts and details have been made public about the situation that Novak Djokovic was put in, uh, and, you know, the, the manner around his detainment, etc. Uh, they wouldn't want to have to go through that same thing again. They would not want to lose uh, another challenge. Uh, so he will probably take his time. The minister will be taking all the advice he can get, making sure he has a very watertight case if this is the avenue he wants to go down. And uh, this case is very highly charged, uh, with the focus now shifted to the um, whole idea of exemptions, exemptions for athletes or a rich celebrity. I, I mean, I, I guess people in Hong Kong have a good idea of uh, what many people in, in Australia are feeling. I mean, um, it was just last year when Australian actress Nicole Kidman skipped uh, quarantine here to shoot her TV series. Um, you must remember that, right, Tracy? I do, yes, exactly. And we've had numerous uh, examples of the same thing here where people have come in, either business executives or, you know, people acting or filming or directors, um, all sorts of people. Um, exemptions are given for a particular reason. And so one of the ideas, especially in Australia, the economy has really suffered. Uh, we rely heavily on tourism. A lot of that tourism comes from uh, the exposure we get from hosting events like the Australian Open. Um, so in many ways, it's in Australia's best interest to be able to host these events, to be able to attract these sorts of people or to attract, you know, the making of films, as you're very aware, in Hong Kong, uh, because it feeds into the entire economy. Um, so for something like this to have happened and for it to be very public and to be very publicly embarrassing, um, even though there are still sections of the community that say he should never have been given an exemption, because we don't want people here who are not vaccinated. And that's within their right to have that opinion. Um, and, you know, this is kind of the, the, the emotional turmoil uh, surrounds this very public story. Um, if you look back um, in, in the last week, um, uh, what was actually the main issue? Uh, was it really like a public health policy issue or was it uh, because of... Uh, the administrative or bureau bureaucratic uh, kind of um, implementation of certain measures? Or, you know, were the exemptions um, uh, criteria not clear at all and not transparent? What, what actually was the cause? Yes, I think it was the latter that you mentioned there. There's, there's a lack of transparency, and I think there's actually uh, not a lot of cohesion between the policies. So, for instance, when you fly into um, any country, that's, that's a, it's a federal issue, it's a sovereign issue. But within Australia, we're a federation of states and territories. It's the state governments that are in charge of health 
that they are the ones that issue exemptions for you to be able to go into that state. So Novak Djokovic flew into Victoria. He had an exemption from the Victorian government um, as a medical pass because he tested positive to COVID and he had uh, a, a relevant degree of antibodies in his system. He provided medical evidence of that. He was given this exemption. Um, but the, the federal authorities at the airport said, well, we don't recognise that. So there's obviously miscommunication. There's also politics at play. The federal government um, is, is different to the state government. Uh, they have been at each other all the way through the COVID couple of years that we've just experienced. Um, they don't agree. They don't see eye to eye. And this is a, another example of, um, of that being played out. And uh, Djokovic is uh, not the only uh, tennis player that's uh, been detained over the past few days, right? I mean, ahead of uh, the Australian no, Open. Not. No, that's right. So there were 26 um, players and uh, support staff that actually put in requests to have some sort of a, a medical exemption. Um, and uh, the, the authorities, the medical authorities, uh, gave out a handful of them. So Novak Djokovic was one. Uh, but there was also a female tennis player that we know of. There was an official that we know of. And uh, Renata Borikova actually flew in earlier, um, had no problems going through immigration or, or you know, with the, the Border Force officials, uh, checked into her hotel, had been playing in a warm-up tournament. Uh, and then after the furor with Novak Djokovic and the media started asking questions about well, what about these others who are already here? It was fine for them. Is this double standards? Uh, then Renata Borikova and one of the officials found themselves um, confronted by both uniformed and plainclothes policemen, uh, and they were taken into detention and then flew out of the country. Oh, and now she's uh, with, of, of course, if she's flown out of uh, flown out of the country, she's uh, basically withdrawn from the Australian Open. Then, as a result. Exactly. And not only that, but because she has flown out of the country uh, with her, her visa cancelled, uh, she is now in a position where she can't return to Australia for up to three years, which was the same um, criteria that Novak Djokovic would have faced uh, and may still face if his visa is cancelled again. So as you mentioned, um, it is um, what, whatever you want to call it, a miscommunication between the federal authorities and state authorities. Now, how could that be handled better, you think, um, in the future, not only for athletes, but for everybody? Look, I think um, there is an understanding and an expectation that it should have been handled better. Uh, but this is where, um, you know, cynicism takes over. And <laughs> many people, um, both domestically and internationally, have said, well, is, is this just pure politics? Did they let this happen to prove a political point or to drive home a political message? One of those political messages being that the federal government is tough on border control. We have a federal election coming up and um, border control issues are always, um, you know, topic um, debates at around election time and the government supports a very strong stance on border control. We know also that Novak Djokovic is not a popular um, character in Australia. Of course he has his supporters, um, but a lot of people don't like the fact that he um, hasn't had a vaccine. They don't like the fact that, you know, his attitudes um, sometimes grain uh, or great with um, Australians and what they like. And so you have all of these things being played into what might be considered a perfect storm, um, which, you know, people are using for their own means. 
But even though um, Djokovic, uh, he can play in the Australian Open now, he might not be able to defend his title, right, after skipping several days of training? Well, uh, he should be able to. He will be playing in the tournament. That should not be a problem. Unless we hear in the meantime that uh, Minister Alex Hawke cancelled his visa and um, whether he, if that happens, whether he then exercises another right to challenge. Um, but if you just look at the, the, the positive, if everything goes according to plan at the moment, he will be playing in the Australian Open. And many people are saying the sort of character that Novak Djokovic is he will use this um, very negative experience from, from his point of view uh, to drive him on. And um, when, when Novak Djokovic uh, has ambition like that, he's very, very difficult to contain. But you mentioned earlier that um, uh, the government might use uh, other reasons uh, to um, take him out of Australia still? Yes, that's right. And so the option that is open now is that uh, the uh, Immigration Minister, um, under one certain part of the Act, he can cancel a visa if he decides that uh, it would be in the public interest to do so. So this is where a lot of the, the public opinion and, you know, the polling that is being done and uh, people measuring how the public is reacting to this story uh, will probably play a major role in um, the Minister's determination. All right, uh, Tracy, we'll have to leave it there for now. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. That's uh, Tracy Holmes, senior journalist at ABC News. Also, many thanks to all of you who commented uh, through email. And uh, thank you to Ada and, of course, uh, Yuki, our producer. Now, uh, here's the weather. Um, cool in the morning, becoming fine and dry later with highs of around 19 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh northerlies, occasionally strong offshore at first. And the outlook, staying cool in the morning in the next couple of days. Right now, it's 14 degrees, relative humidity 70%. As the risk of severe disease and death from COVID-19 increases with age, vaccines are highly recommended for the elderly. Common side effects are usually mild and temporary. Experts advise that those who have had flu shots before can safely receive COVID-19 vaccines. Even if you have a disease, you should get vaccinated as long as your condition is stable. Just staying home doesn't mean you're free from the risk of infection. Protect yourself. Get vaccinated early. It's 9.30, the news with Andrew Shirovsky. Health authorities say they found no new COVID-19 cases after testing 340 residents of a block in Meifu during an overnight lockdown. Officials ended the operation this morning. It was ordered after a resident of the building in Nassau Street tested preliminary positive. Meanwhile, the government has issued compulsory testing notices for 39 places. A pharmacist's group has called on the government to lower the minimum age for people to receive a BioNTech COVID vaccine to five. Right now, children as young as 12 are allowed a jab, while advisors have said Sinovac is fine for children as young as three. And doctors in the United States have carried out the first successful transplant of a pig's heart into a human patient. Surgeons at the University of Maryland Medical Center said the 57-year-old patient, David Bennett, was doing well and the, the heart appeared to be working normally. I'll have more on these and other stories at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer Interpreter of Beethoven. As well, oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decide of what's happening behind the lift. Good morning. Inter interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. 
on your radio and live online. This is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you and welcome to Tuesday here on The Morning Brew. I'm Phil Whelan with you until one o'clock. Gerald Watts back today at 10.40 with the continuing story of all the recent comings and goings and duckings and divings down under. As always, he's got some great Aussie music for you as well. 11.40 today, slightly later than normal, Dr. Merrin Pierce will be with us live from New Zealand. Today he's in Hakutani, a town known for its recreational fishing. Beautiful place as well. He's going to be down at the riverbank to talk about how his country handles sustainable fishing. If you'll look around, if you can join him on Facebook Live as well, Morris is having a week off of R&R for his Futurist, and he'll be back next week. 